Good morning, church, once again. Good morning, you all. Uh, welcome here. And this is the day that the Lord has made. And He set aside this day for a special purpose. So let us be glad and rejoice in it. Uh, before we start this study this morning, I would like to invite you as far as possible to join me in prayer that the Lord will be leading this moment of study. Father, once again, we humbly bow before you and we are here in your presence, Lord, willing to learn and to hear from you. I ask, Lord, that you may hide me behind the cross of Christ, that every word that I say may be filtered by your Holy, filtered by your Holy Spirit, that the message that I'll bring this morning may not come as a result of my own ideas, but may your, may your Holy Spirit, the one whom I believe assisted me in preparing the message, your Holy Spirit guide me and use every word to the benefit and to the growth of every worshiper here this morning. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our ears, our minds, our eyes. May we be attentive and sensitive to the touch and to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I ask you these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I, I hope you are having a good Sabbath so far. And Sabbath is a day of joy. It is supposed to be a day of joy, right? And right now as we open Scripture, we should always, always be able to find joy, joy in what we study, in what we learned. Many people have throughout the centuries claimed different theories and claimed different, uh, based on knowledge they have accumulated, claimed different theories and perspectives as to how we can find happiness and joy in life. Uh, many people may not have heard of a man called Werner, or Werner in English, von Siemens. He was a German gentleman, uh, and probably you know the company he founded, which is Siemens, Siemens AG. And uh, just, just uh, incidentally, that's the company my wife works for now, but that's not the reason why I'm bringing this uh, illustration here. This company started actually as a little workshop at the back of this man's house in the city of Berlin. And this was in the 1840s, the early 1840s. And from that little workshop, he created the first long-distance telegraph in Europe. And he was about to cover a distance of about 300 miles, 500 kilometers. And this company eventually grew to become actually a multi-billion dollar corporation today. It's present, has presence all across the globe in more than 190 countries. And this company today employs more than 480,000 employees all across the globe. And they produce from electronic equipments to uh, computers, phones, and motors, home appliances, and even uh, hearing aids. Now, somehow, I'm sure, in, way, in one way or another, you've had some uh, contact with some of Siemens' products throughout your life. Now, this man, who was the founder of this company, at the end of his life, uh, this was toward the end of his life, and he was before a group of scientists that were meeting there in Berlin, in Germany. And he had a speech. 
And listen to what he said. He was a, a, a faithful believer in the power of science and how science could help and even change men's life. So here is what he said. Therefore, gentlemen, we will not be shaken in our belief that our research and inventive activity leads mankind to higher levels of culture, ennobling it and making it more accessible to ideal inspirations. That the impending scientific age will diminish its hardships and its sickness, will enhance its enjoyment of life, and make it better, happier, and more content with its fate. And even though we may not always see the road ahead clearly, he continues, the road leading to these better conditions, we will nevertheless hold on to our conviction that the light of truth we are exploring will not lead us astray and that the wealth and power it brings to mankind cannot diminish it but is bound to elevate it to higher to a higher level of existence it sounds even a little uh, spiritual right sounds religious should I, I, I rather say now how accurate were these predictions that science would be able to take men to a higher level of existence and make our lives better happier and more content with its fate well, for all that science is supposed to offer, science is not able to provide answer to the most fundamental questions of life. Now, science is not able to tell you what is right and what is wrong. Science cannot tell you what's the purpose of it all. Science cannot tell you what's the reason for living or what reasons are for living. Science cannot tell you, cannot define what is moral and what is immoral. And science cannot tell you what the future holds. In fact, there is an Austrian philosopher. His name was Ludwig Wittgenstein. And this is what he said. We feel that when all possible scientific questions have been answered, the problems of life remain completely untouched. And that's the reality. That we may try to find answers in science and knowledge only, but they're not there. However, the answers do exist. Answers are out there, but the answers lie, behind, lie beyond what human intellect can sway. Answers are not found beyond the confines, answers are found rather beyond the confines of a science lab and beyond the confines of test tubes. They cannot be produced as a result of computer-generated math equations or algorithms. These answers, answers for life's most tough questions, they come from the only one who was able to figure out the whole universe, the one who knows how the universe operates and who put it together. These answers are not finding labs. These answers are not kept secret either. God made them known, and we may not have come to all the answers yet, but they are there. They are in, in Scripture, and this is what we call the sure word of prophecy, the more confirmed and sure 
prophetic word. So it has been through God's revelation. It's been by God's revelation through his prophets that we have had access to the answers that the scripture provide. And this morning I'd like to talk about prophecy. You know, throughout, the, the, throughout history, we've seen some people rise up and say that they have a message from God. And history has shown, has produced people like uh, Jim Jones in Guyana, who claimed to have a message from God, who claimed to have a revelation from God. And as a result of that uh, claimed revelation, more than a thousand people died. And believing that they were following God's will, God's commands. Uh, we have uh, David Koresh. We had David Koresh in Texas. And many others who have surged and, and claimed that they had a message from God. So here are we between what science cannot do and what some uh, uh, self, uh, self-claiming prophets have said. And where can we find true where can we find truth? Where can we find the real light of truth? So it's here in Scripture. But what does Scripture say about itself? What does Scripture say about the prophetic gift? What does Scripture say about prophecy and its prophets? Here is what the Apostle Peter, Apostle Peter who was himself a prophet, says in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through to 21. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 16 to 21. Second Peter is a small book near the end of the Bible. And if you had found it, Second Peter 1 16 to 21, say Amen. Praise the Lord. So here is what Peter says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When we received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him. On the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first of all. That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is here describing the process by which God revealed himself to the biblical authors, to the biblical prophets. Peter is saying that no prophecy came from someone's own interpretation. Nothing that we find in the Bible has ever come to be by someone's own ideas because they thought they have a good idea they had a good idea because they thought they had a good insight and they sat down and wrote and that became part of the bible no everything that is today in scripture came because god revealed it to his prophets 
And they were assisted by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, he goes on to say, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. They received a message from God, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So once revelation was given to them, the Holy Spirit, after the truth was revealed to them, the Holy Spirit came and assisted them, and they were carried along the process of writing down what God had revealed to them, and the Holy Spirit was with them throughout the whole process. Now, does it make sense to you? No? Is it clear? So God revealed himself. When, when Moses was there uh, at, the, at the mount, and, uh, and the Lord appeared in the burning bush, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and the Lord said, uh, Remove your shoes because you are on holy ground. And the Lord, the, the Lord revealed himself to Moses. And the Lord said, I am who I am. Right? So Moses had that clear revelation from God. And then after that, the Holy Spirit assisted Moses as he wrote down everything that God had told him. So the whole process is guided by God. By God and the Holy Spirit being God as well. Now, if that is the case, I will give you here a, a few characteristics of a true and genuine prophet if the whole process is led and guided by God if the whole process come uh, originates in God and is is completed with the assistance of God the Holy Spirit then there are some tests that we can run prophets by to see if they meet the standards of the Bible so for example every prophecy everything that is said must conform to whatever has been said previously. And let me say before I even give you the passage here, it's a well-known passage, but we sometimes think that prophecy is only prediction or predicting the future. No, the word for prophet in the Bible, in the Hebrew first and then in the Greek, means someone who is a messenger, someone who is a spokesperson of someone else. So the prophets were spokespersons of God, were spokespeople of God. So they, they didn't have a message of their own, they had a message from God. But it could be a message of encouragement, it could be a message of reproof, and it could be also some predictions of the future. So that's what prophecy is, is just being a, someone who is a messenger from God, bringing a message of God. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Isaiah 8, verse 20. Anything that a prophet says, anything that someone who claims to be a prophet says, must have agreement, must be in agreement with prior revelation. And so in Isaiah 8, 20, Isaiah says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So whatever is whatever someone who claims to be a prophet says has to be tested against the law and the testimony what has already been revealed in scripture and if they are not in agreement then there is no light whatsoever in that prophet there is another test if you turn your bibles now to jeremiah the the book following isaiah jeremiah chapter 28 and verse 9 jeremiah 28 verse 9 
Jeremiah says that when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet know that the Lord has truly sent him. So when it is the case that a prophet is called to make a prediction about something that will take place in the future, and if every prediction that the prophet makes never materializes, never comes to, to take place, then that prophet's not a true prophet. That prophet has not been really sent by God. So when the prophet says something and it comes to pass, then the prophet and everyone around them will know that the Lord has truly sent him. So first, we need, uh, the prophet needs to be in agreement with previous revelation. Second, the, the predictions about the future have to be fulfilled. And this is confirmed here in Deuteronomy. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. Deuteronomy 18, 22. And here Moses wrote, if, a prophet, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So any prediction that a prophet makes has come to take place, has come to pass. And if the prediction does not come to pass, then it's not a message from the Lord. Is that clear? I think it is pretty clear in Scripture. Now, they have to be in agreement with prior revelation. Their predictions have to be fulfilled. And also, they must confess Christ as being God in flesh and blood. First John chapter 4 verse 2. First John chapter 4 verse 2. That's right at the end of the Bible. Just before. A little before Revelation. First John chapter 4 and verse 2. And here is what John says. Every spirit. That acknowledges Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is from God. So if someone claims to have the prophetic gift and they deny that Jesus is God in flesh, that Jesus is God incarnate, that's not from God. But every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then that is from God. And also, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 20, here is another characteristic of someone who has indeed been sent by God. Matthew chapter 7, Verse 20. Jesus says that thus by their fruit we will, you will recognize them. Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. So it's by the fruit. It's, uh, it's awkward to think that someone would claim to have a message from God. And that message tells them to, to lead a thousand people, five hundred people, even thirty people to kill themselves to take their own lives because that's what God knows. God is the life giver. God is the one who gives life, right? And you may, have, you may be taken to situations where your life will be at peril because people will be against your beliefs. But that's different. The Lord is not asking anyone to take the life that He has graciously given us. So we need to be attentive to that. Now there are other characteristics as well. Uh, prophets receive dreams and visions. 
And this is clear in scripture. Daniel had visions. Uh, Joseph had dreams. And many other, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they had, Isaiah had a vision of, of, the, of God's throne, of God's sanctuary. And he saw even himself there interacting with the angels, with, with, uh, with the Lord there. So prophets do have visions and dreams. But if you, if you decide to have a heavy meal at 10 p.m. in the evening and go to bed, you might have some dreams as well. So the next day people might wake up saying that I, have a, I had a dream, I had a revelation from God. And then we need to, to be respectful, but to test everything that comes out of that person against these tests here that we have just mentioned. So this is how the gift of prophecy operates. God reveals himself to people that he has chosen. And this has been so since the beginning of the Bible, all the way through the end of the Bible. Now... Christians believe that the Bible, and this is something we can talk about another time, but we believe that the Bible is closed, right? There is nothing else that we can add to the Bible. The Bible is, uh, the, the Bible canon, as we call, is closed now. So throughout the centuries, particularly in, in, in the early centuries of the Christian church, uh, Christians came together to decide which books were really inspired, which books were really uh, prophetic and should make it into the Bible as we know it today. And uh, with prayer and consideration and the church getting together, we came to have the book as we have today. There are 66 books and Bible is actually uh, from the, the Greek biblion, which means uh, a library. So the Bible is more than a book. It's actually a library. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And how we came to have these 66 books, we can talk about that another time. But one thing we should notice is that in the Bible, we have prophets who have been called prophets and who have brought a message from God. And God has spoken to them and through them to the people. However, they don't have books in the Bible. So it is possible that a prophet may have been called by God, but they have not written a book in the Bible. For example, uh, did Joseph receive dreams and, and visions? He received dreams, indeed, right? He dreamt that uh, uh, his brothers and even his parents would be coming to him and would be bowing down to him. And, and that actually eventually took place. That eventually was fulfilled. So Joseph was a prophet, but Joseph has no book in the Bible. The Bible also in Matthew, in Luke chapter 2, 36, talks about a prophetess called Anna. Anna was an elderly woman who attended the temple every day. The Bible says there that she prayed every day. She prayed for the consolation, for the healing of the people of Israel. And every day she would go, and the Bible says clearly that she was a prophetess. But there is no book in the Bible written by Anna. There are others, for example, uh, uh, Noah. Was Noah a prophet? Do you think Noah was a prophet? Or was he just a preacher? No, he was a prophet. He had a special message. 
that God had given to him. And he said that after a few years, there was going to be rain. And people mocked him because there, were, there, there had never been rain. But it was a message from God. And indeed, rain came. So his prediction materialized. Noah was a prophet, but there is no book in the Bible that Noah ever wrote. So there, there is the possibility that God raises prophets who have not written any book that we have in the Bible. And if we believe that, we have to believe that God will still call prophets. God has been calling prophets and will still call prophets. And I'm referring to prophets as a special gift. I'm not talking, uh, let me open a parenthesis here. Uh, when, when a pastor goes to the pulpit or any person and, and they preach a sermon, that is not necessarily prophecy, right? Uh, preaching a sermon, I believe that when we preach, we are moved by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as we prepare the message, the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds and, and gives us enlightenment so that we can present the message. And the way I, I see it, once we stand here and preach, God takes these words and makes them alive. So it's the living word of God that comes out, but it's not prophecy. Prophecy is when someone receives a direct and clear revelation from God, and then the Holy Spirit assists in, present, in the presentation of that message. So I don't claim to have the gift of prophecy, for example. I believe that the Holy Spirit assists me when I preach, but I don't have the gift of prophecy. But the Bible makes clear, uh, the Bible indicates, I should rather say, that the gift of prophecy will persist until the end of time. Turn your Bibles, for example, to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter. That's the chapter on love, the gift par excellence. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 uh, through to 12. For if the trumpet, uh, sorry, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So Paul has indicated that outside of love, other gifts, including prophecy, at some point they will cease. But when is that going to happen? So now he says in verse 9, For now we know in part, and we prophesy, prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, when is that going to happen? When? At the last day when Jesus comes. So when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And when I was a child, I spoke as a ch child, understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood, childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now in part, but then I shall know even, and as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. So Paul is saying that only at the last day, when Jesus comes, that uh, gift of prophecy will then cease. There will be no more need for that. And Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 Verses 11 to 13. 
Paul points out here what is the purpose of God in giving gifts to the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till when? Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it is when Jesus comes, when we finally become, have our, our bodies changed and we become perfect, that those gifts will cease. Now, Joel in chapter 2, Joel in his book, the prophet Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 31. There is an interesting prediction here from Joel, the prophet. Joel 2, 28 through to 21. When your study Bible is in Portuguese and you use a, an English Bible to preach, the pages don't move as fast. But here we are, Joel chapter 2, verses 20, 28 through to 21, 31. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. And in, in those days I will pour out my Holy Spirit. And I will show wonders in the, in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Then shall the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever called the name of the Lord shall be delivered. So... He's saying that before the great day of the Lord, there will be a great manifestation of prophetic, of the prophetic gift. That young men and old men and young uh, women would receive dreams and, and visions and they would prophesy. And even though we believe that on the day of Pentecost, that was the early manifestation of this gift. When the disciples, the apostles were able to speak in, in different tongues and preach to people from other nations... We also believe that there will be an even greater manifestation at the end of time. So we believe that prophecy is still current, that prophecy is still living in the church, and it will continue until Jesus comes. So God's purpose with prophecy, as we read in Ephesians, is to build up His people. And I want to take you now, as we finish here, to the experience that Ethan just read here in scripture reading in Luke chapter 27. Rather, Luke chapter 24, verses 27 through to 36. And here is a perfect example of what prophecy can do and what prophecy is for. Luke chapter 24, verses 27 through 36. Now, this is talking about two disciples. We only have the name of one of them. 
Cleopas or Cleopas. And we don't have the name of the other disciple. But they, they were going back to their, to their town, to their village called Emmaus from Jerusalem. And this was on the first day of the week after Jesus had risen again. So some people had been there to the tomb. Some women had been there. And they couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't find Jesus. And they went back to tell the disciples that Jesus was no longer there. And these two disciples were there with the eleven in Jerusalem by the time the women came back from the tomb. And the women reported to them and said, we couldn't find Jesus. We did find the, the, the cloth uh, perfectly folded up near the tomb, but we couldn't see him. We couldn't see the master. Now, they did not believe the women. They did not take them seriously. And so these two disciples left Jerusalem going back to their town Emmaus. While the other disciples stayed there. Now they're going their way. They're going on their way going back home. And they're talking about the events that had just taken place. And at that point so Christ's resurrection was still something disputed. And uh, you remember that the chief priests and the rulers of the people of Israel, they had come up with this story that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus and they had bribed the soldiers to comply with that story. But Jesus had, had risen again, in fact. So these two disciples are talking and they're despondent, they're disappointed. And they even thought, according to Luke here in chapter 24, they even thought that the women were kind of crazy. Because they, they couldn't see Jesus, so they came up with this story that they had seen a vision of angels. That's how they say it. Well, the women came back saying that they had a vision of angels, and that the angels told them that Jesus was no longer there because he was alive. They said, this is all delusional. This is, we, we, we can't believe this. And they're discussing this. And all of a sudden, someone joins them. A stranger joins them in the conversation. And in verse 17, Jesus, who was a stranger, turns to them and says, What kind of conversation is that that you're having? What kind of conversation is that with one another as you walk and you are clearly sad? And they look to Jesus and they, they, they ask him, uh, Are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on, what's happened here? And so... They even acknowledge Jesus as a prophet in the course of the conversation. But in verse 21, they say, we are disappointed because uh, that man who seemed to be a prophet, they, they were referring to Jesus, right? Not knowing that Jesus was the one with them. So they, they turn to Jesus as Jesus asks, uh, what's going on? What, what are you talking about? They turn to Jesus and say, well, you know that man that for three and a half years had his ministry going from town to town. We believe he was a prophet. And apparently God had spoken through him. But we really thought that he was going to be the one who would deliver the people of Israel. But now in verse 21, today is already the third day since those things happened. And we can't find, we can't see him. We are just disappointed. Maybe he was not the only one. He was not the one. Now, beginning in verse 27, here is what Jesus does. The Bible says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things 
concerning himself. So Jesus starts quoting scripture beginning in the writing of writings of Moses. When the Bible says here, beginning at Moses, it's not that Jesus was telling the story of Moses and how Moses was as a baby put in a basket and no, he's starting in Moses, I mean, at Moses, he's starting with the, the text that Moses wrote, with the scripture that Moses wrote. And in Moses, Jesus starts to show them everything in Moses and the prophets, everything that the Bible had ever talked and predicted about himself, about the Son of God, about the Messiah. And Jesus begins in Moses. While Moses' writings are clear, as to our origins. Moses' writings are clear about where you came from. And don't ever be deceived because Moses' writings are crystal clear about how you came to be. You were God's creature. God had a purpose and an intent when he created us. Moses' writings are clear in presenting the creation cycle in six literal days. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And God set aside this special day, the seventh day, for communion with Him and communion between Him and human beings. Moses' writings, the same, the same writings that Jesus was quoting to those two disciples, they're absolutely clear about God's plan for families. How families should be constituted. That a man will unite with a woman. And then a family will be created. And they will be able to procreate and reproduce. Moses' writings are clear about God's plan for salvation. I don't know if you ever thought about it. But God gave the, the tables, uh, the Ten Commandments to the people on uh, Mount Sinai. And that's in Exodus 20. When the whole nation of Israel was camped just around Mount Sinai. And it was still there. They didn't go anywhere. So after God gave them the Ten Commandments, God instructed them how to build the sanctuary. God gave Moses all the instructions that they would build a sanctuary. And through the sanctuary, God would teach them the plan of salvation. So it was all there. All in Moses' writings. And Jesus goes through all of that. And shows in Scripture everything that had been talked and taught and predicted about him. So the Bible says that finally they started to understand what Jesus is saying, but they didn't quite recognize him. And eventually Jesus went to their home because they said, well, stay with us. It's getting dark. It's getting late. Jesus goes to their home. And it is only here, beginning in verse 30, it came to pass, Luke 24, verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. But before they could come and worship Jesus and say, It's you, Lord, the Bible says that he what? He vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, verse 32, Didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, our hearts were throbbing. We knew there was something special about him. And they said to one another, let's rise up 
And they rose up in, in that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, verse 33, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told, they told about the things that had happened to them on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. So, this experience clearly indicates the purpose of prophecy. Jesus is walking with them down the road to Emmaus. He's expounding scripture to them and showing how scripture had pointed to him. And as he talks and as he speaks, explains the scripture to them their hearts are throbbing and they're excited about it and finally they recognize Jesus and they are filled with such joy with such joy that Jesus had just broken the bread they forget about everything they, they must be hungry at that point but they don't eat anything the leaping of joy they go back to Jerusalem because they want to share the good news so here is my here is my message for you this morning. Prophecy was given to build up the body of Christ. Prophecy was given to strengthen you. The Bible says in Hosea, you can open your Bible in Hosea chapter 12, verse 13. Hosea 12, 13. The prophet says, By a prophet... The Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Moses, right? And by a prophet, he was preserved. God's people was preserved. So prophecy is given to help you. Prophecy is given to strengthen your faith. When there is no prophecy, the people perish. So prophecy has been given for that. And we believe that the gift of prophecy is still active in God's church today. Even in the Christian church and even in our, our small denomination. We count some 18, 18 million uh, members in the Seventh-day Adventist church across the globe. We also believe that God in a special way revealed himself to this people, to this uh, Christian denomination. In the early days of our church, God manifested and revealed special messages to those who were the founders of this church, particularly to, to one woman, to one woman. And, and her name was Ellen White. And here is the thing: the, the disciples, when they received the report from the women, they just didn't believe them. And I ask ourselves, I ask us today, are we giving credit to our women? Are we empowering them? Are we giving them uh, the credit that they deserve? Because they also can have a personal and close relationship with Christ. So I pray that today and always you may look at prophecy in the way that God intended it to be. Prophecy is not about fear monging. Prophecy is not about in, in imposing fear on people. Fear of the things that are to come. And you must be afraid and you must walk on the line or else. There is no such thing like that in the Bible. Prophecy is supposed to encourage you. To fill you with strength and faith. And to help you look forward with hope. To the day when Jesus will come. And then prophecy will no longer be needed. 
May God bless each and every one of us. May we take uh, seriously his prophets. May we abide in his word. Because that's where we can find answers to our greatest questions. May God bless each and every one of us today.